Welcome to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. So welcome everyone, and this week we are going to be covering a Bible theme, this time more of a concept, and it's a pretty far-reaching concept, inspiration. This is Josh here, and Paul is with me. How are you doing, Paul? Hi, I'm great. It's good to have you back on hosting for us, Josh. (laughs) It's, It's nice to be back doing this online. We are talking about the Bible and inspiration. And as a word, you'd hear inspiration banded around a lot. If I was interviewing Paul after he had just released a music album or something like that, then maybe I might ask, you know, what was your inspiration for writing such and such a song or on a baking program about who inspired this particular recipe that you've concocted? But if we think about the Bible as being inspired, what does that what does that mean? Do we see that term? in the Bible. How how does inspiration work? That's that's some of the things that we want to think about here in, in this episode. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's, there's very little direct information about this concept of the divine inspiration of, of anything, whether it's, it's, it's the Bible or something else. There's very little direct information about that. But it, as you read the Bible, you see it's kind of there embedded as an underlying assumption as, as you read it. You know, there are phrases like, thus says the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me saying, and those kind of phrases. You, you see crop up a lot. But as we explore the question and this concept, it inevitably, because it is so foundational, it touches on all sorts of issues and raises all sorts of questions. So I'm going to say here up front, we're not going to be able to answer all the possible questions that you might have about inspiration and how it works and what it is. You know, for example, we're not going to cover the canon of scripture. You know, why, why do we have 66 books in the, the Protestant canon, the Bible that we uh, we generally use? We're not going to cover how that came together. And we're not particularly going to think about whether being in inspired to write something or say something is something that happens to people today we're not going to address those those kind of questions we'll we'll address right. a lot of other other things but <laughs> sure, not those certainly that still leaves plenty on the table yeah. to uh, to be getting on with we are certainly not alone in concluding that, that god has communicated through the bible that we would view it as as god's word and we would understand that and we'll go into detail about what we what we mean by that but you could just sort of start with what are some of the things that lead you to to that conclusion that have 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 brought you to think that from a personal point of view my belief in the existence of of god as a as the best explanation for the universe in which we live and the way life is and the way we are as human beings you know my belief in in a god because of those things comes largely from reasons outside of the bible so you know when i think about the the origins of stuff and life god being the best explanation for that when i think of the historical jesus event and and the historical facts around his claimed resurrection and things like you know human views of what's right and wrong and morality and how deeply embedded that is in human thinking and behavior you know all of that leaves me thinking god is the best explanation for that and so so i tend to think if if there's a god for those reasons outside the bible and he's interested in right and wrong and morality and those kind of things then it's perfectly reasonable to expect a god like that to have communicated to human beings who ha- who also have this sense of right and wrong 
that's a long and powerful list of reasons that would would bring someone to to take this book seriously i suppose because there are are as you say many things outside it that would would lead someone to think that god is interested in humans and would be more likely than not willing and able to communicate with them as i think about the, uh, the biblical text one of the other things that i find winsome and interesting is the great range of songs and laments and characters and stories and narratives that it contains that have power still shape and affect things in our world today and throughout history have proved useful and and powerful and engaging to people all around the world as they used it to build lives and their communities as well as wage wars and you know fight for civil rights for certain mm. groups to create you know thousands thousands and thousands of paintings of the same images that are contained in the bible unlike you know any other collection of mm. ancient text has a, a power and an effectiveness that no other collection of work has. It is, it's old and remote in some ways, but yet it's very close and engaging and personal and, and, and challenging in today's world as well. You're absolutely right. And in addition to those kind of reasons from outside the Bible for a, a God to communicate to us, once you start exploring the Bible, you start to see that the value and the power and, and it reinforces some of those unique features, you know, the relevance to the human condition, mm -hmm. the explanatory worldview that it presents. And then you start to see all sorts of patterns and echoes across these diverse texts, across these 66 books. And, and it becomes a sort of virtuous circle. If you started out thinking that, yes, I think there probably is a God, therefore I'll look at the Bible. And then the Bible starts to confirm that you were right in concluding that there was a God in some ways. Yeah. Okay. We've said that well, it's something that can be approached as one, but also it's it's 66 books and there's a lot of range mm. in there. Let's start to think about what does it mean to say something is God's word as we think about the Bible, the books contained within it. Where would you like to begin to, to tackle this? Yeah. And I think what I'd like to do is just is consider three key words here. And, and those key words are communication and then authority and then accountability. Mm -hmm. And I think it's useful just to think about those those three things. Um, so firstly, communication. If you just think about how communication happens, you know, I will have an idea in my mind and I want to communicate it to you, Josh. So somehow I need the idea that's in my head <laughs> that my brain is forming transferred yeah. into your brain. Not um, by osmosis. In, in the, and by the time it's got to your brain, it's pretty similar to what, how it started out in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so I try and express it in in words and I may do that well, or I may do it imperfectly, but I try and express it in words. And then you hear those words and, and you interpret and understand, hopefully, something of what I'm trying to get across. So there's, there's kind of four stages there, at least. That, you know, yeah. There's what I mean to, to get across. There's the words that I put together to express that. You hear them, yeah. and then you interpret and understand it. And, and you can see that that can go wrong. Yeah. Well, that's um, two people who speak the same language face-to-face, -face, yes. and already we yeah. could have some problems in that. Yeah. And so you know, we, can, we can have some fun with some examples of how it might go wrong so you know i'm in my my workplace and i'm taking a toilet break heading to the toilet and the caretaker says to me i'm sorry paul that toilet's out of order but you can use the floor below now it, the caretaker's been perfectly clear in what he intended what he means to say and he's he's not particularly ambiguous but yeah. you can see you can see how that might be misunderstood sure with dire consequences yes yeah you're absolutely right there's lots of examples of that where Clearly, the original idea has been communicated effectively for one person, mm. but might get, get mixed up. I'm a big fan of, of garden path sentences, so something like, the barge floated down the river sank, which even as you read it, it were you to look at it on a piece of paper, you sort of get confused by the end of the sentence, mm. and you realise actually you should have sort of read it as, the barge floated down the river 
sank mm. or stolen painting found by a tree yeah. was this a you know, an anthropomorphic <laughs> elm that's yeah. that's recovered the rembrandt or was it just left perched uh, propped up next to it those kind of examples are you know it's a bit frivolous and 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 they're just playing around with some of the ambiguities of, of yes. the english language and sentence construction there but and and you perhaps might expect if there's a divine involvement in expressing a meaning an intended mm-hmm. meaning in words that some of that ambiguity you might expect not to be there sure but but even without that it's possible for kind of deeper cultural setting mm-hmm. misunderstandings to occur so maybe the classic example of this is if i was to say to someone i think we should get married then that i mean apart from the fact of expressing it in that way sure. it sounds terribly unromantic and, and therefore <laughs> <laughs> the answer should be clear. But if, if I was to say that somewhere, I, I think we should get married. You know, In one cultural setting, that means I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But in a different cultural setting, even today or certainly in, in times past or parts of the hierarchy of society, it means something more like I think that our families should form a mutually beneficial alliance for our financial benefit. So you kind of need to know yeah where the cultural setting is for a statement in order to really understand what it means sure in isolation mm. you lose out on quite a few things possibly mm. without the uh, the wider picture okay so that highlights some of the challenges that there are with communication that we that we can be aware of communication was your first point your second word that you wanted to approach this with was authority what do you what do you mean by that yes yeah, so in that chain of communication now let's think about what part of that chain do you treat as authoritative you know, mm-hmm. where does the authority lie and what do you attach authority to because of who said it? Obviously, particularly relevant when we're coming to something being treated as God's word and attaching mm-hmm. the authority of God said, so therefore, blah, blah, blah. So what part of that chain should be treated as authoritative? Now, it, it seems pretty clear to me that the authority lies in what the communicator intends to mean. So right at the beginning, right. the meaning that is intended. So in the example that I gave about the, the toilet not working, mm-hmm. if I leave a mess on the floor around the toilet that doesn't work, I can't say, I can't claim, well, the caretaker said yeah. I could <laughs> use the floor below. You know, the authority of the caretaker saying that rests in what he meant, as in go down the floor below and use a toilet on the floor below. So the authority rests on what he meant, not on how I misunderstood it or misinterpreted it. Okay. So again, trivial example, but it is exactly the same when we come to think about looking at the Bible and thinking about where the authority lies for it to be God's word. And it's obviously in what God intends to communicate. And we can take an example. And I chose this example because we've referred to it recently in, in the podcast on Genesis that Dan did with Lawrence. And because otherwise you might think, what a strange example to choose. <laughs> it's the example in Genesis right at the end of the flood when Noah comes out of the ark at the end of the flood. And he plants a vineyard, grows some grapes, makes some wine, gets terribly drunk. And then there's a really awkward event with with Ham, his son, and Canaan, the son of Ham, in which Noah is found in a compromising state in, in his tent. And, and, and as a result of that, there's a statement about a curse on Canaan, the son of Ham. And so, so there's this strange event, but... Believe it or not, that event has been used to justify the slavery of black people because Ham, father of black people in the genealogy as it unfolds, and there's this curse. And so therefore, it's okay 
you know, it's a horrible, pervert, you know, you look at it and you think, how could you reach that sure. conclusion? How could you look at that, interpret that and and take that meaning from it? It's far worse than leaving a mess on the toilet floor for the caretaker, you know, it's, but you cannot conceive that that is what God intended the meaning of that passage to be. Right. The meaning is much more about his Noah emerging from the ark, this kind of renewal of creation and and immediately something goes wrong. Right. Somebody does something that they shouldn't, and there's a curse. So yeah. humanity just after the flood is just the same as Adam and Eve were in the garden kind of yeah. message. So than. in this example, then, you would say that the authority of the message intended in the text there has been ignored by yeah. these particular interpreters, and they've instead rested on their own authority to justify the, yeah. the answer that they were looking yeah. for and found something that they, they can manipulate yeah. in order to, to do that. So in that chain, there's the intended meaning expressed yeah. in the words that we see in Genesis chapter 9, right. somebody's read, heard those, and then put a completely different interpretation and then said, that's where the authority lies. It lies in mm -hmm. my interpretation, yeah. not in what God's intended meaning was. And so okay. it, it just illustrates how important it is that we approach this in, in the right way. There's a few words, a quick quote from the beginning of a, a book that's actually designed for teaching children the stories of the mm -hmm. Bible by John and Kim Walton. And, and the phrase is this, only the things that scripture intends to teach carry the authority of the text, which is kind of getting to, to that point. very good okay so that was the authority second of your three words what about the mm. third word accountability so this is just simply that if we've taken the time and the care to try and get to a genuine understanding of the meaning behind mm -hmm. this communication from god and we attach the authority of god to that then it, we make ourselves accountable to that because we've we've attached the authority of God as creator to that, and we have to do something in response to it. It also, I guess, means that we should, we must avoid putting the authority in the wrong place, yes. as that example shows, and putting it on our interpretations, particularly if we can't honestly be sure about what the communicator meant. Right. So clearly, yes, these three are, are closely linked. And so the point when you add the three up is that the authority rests in the meaning intended by the communicator. In, in this case, the communicator is God. And the authority does not rest in the particular interpretation of the hearer or the reader. Mm. And so therefore, as we approach this subject, a level of humility about our interpretations is is appropriate. Yeah. All right, so let's dive in now. Let's explore, you know, how God may have communicated and and sort of get into what inspiration might mean, what it might look like. As we said at the outset, there's there's not a lot of information about how inspiration happens. There's, there's a couple sure. of verses that we'll look at that are key in this, and, and anyone who's familiar with the subject won't be surprised that we start off in, in the second letter of Peter and chapter 1, from 2 Peter chapter 1, just the last two verses, I think. Sure. So Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 20. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will, but men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
Okay. So the first thing to note from that is is that it's it's talking about people speaking mm-hmm. and spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit in that quotation. So when we think about the Bibles that we have in front of us, a large proportion of that text was actually spoken before it was written. Yeah. It was something you know, delivered by Moses or mm-hmm. the prophets, the psalmist sang the psalms uh, so that a large proportion of it were was were spoken before they were written but that uses this phrase that men were moved by the holy spirit it's quite a strong word that moved and it's the same word that's used when paul was on a ship in the mediterranean and they had to let it drive in, in the storm it was it was kind of compelled or propelled along by the storm so it's okay. quite, quite a strong strong word but still not very much idea about what what that means and what it what it might have been like yeah but there's a couple of things a couple of examples one from moses and one from david so moses in in the book of exodus when he is in front of the burning bush and he's been asked to go and and lead the israelites out of egypt you know he says I'm not a great speaker. I'm not not good at this kind of thing. Mm. Um, perhaps someone else can do it. And the answer of God in in Exodus chapter four is 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 along the lines of, "Well, I'm the creator of all things, and I made man's mouth. So don't you think I can ensure that you have the right words and the right things to say if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm with you?" So, but again. Yeah, how exactly that that works? Don't know. And there's something similar with the producer of the psalm. So you know, a lot of them written by David. And in in two Samuel twenty three, he says, "The spirit of the Lord speaks by me; his word is on my tongue." So it, it's a similar kind of thing that there's there's some sense in which these people understand that they are speaking things given to them by by God by some mm-hmm. means, but. I don't think that should lead us to the conclusion that physically the movement of the mouth and the tongue and the larynx is kind of independently controlled and they have no control of this. Because as you read the Psalms, you find things like the words of of Psalm 73, which says, um, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked and, and things like that. And it's complaining about seeing the prosperity of the wicked. And you think, I can imagine David did feel like that. And it's a genuine reflection of the personality of the individual. There's sure. another example in Psalm 51 of, of David again. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. And so, you know, he's done something wrong. He knows he's mm-hmm. done something wrong. And, he, and that's a genuine expression of regret. Yes. It's quite yeah. natural to come out of the mouth of someone. So there's a great deal of the circumstance, the personality of of the individuals involved. Yes. Here. I mean, even in that, just thinking back to your, your first example with Moses in Exodus chapter four, you know, that's Moses saying, I'm not a very good speaker. <laughs> I, you've, you've given me this, this big task, but I'm, I'm not one for, for, for standing on the soapbox and projecting so mm. that the people in the back of the room can hear me. That exchange and the fact that God then says, okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's look to Aaron. He is a great speaker. Let's get him, but yeah. you're still part of the plan. There is this, this interaction that the that mm. men and women will speak. They'll speak in their own language and they'll use the, the vocabulary of the day. They'll use the method and the means of the day. So you as you look at the look at the Psalms, you know, that's a, a style of writing, of, of putting something to music, makes it great and easy yeah. to, to memorize, easy to sort of take and, 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 and travel with you. And so those sorts of things, I think we yeah, absolutely we need to, to take those into account when we think about the authoritative meaning of what it is that we are reading. Yeah, that's nicely summed up, I think, in some words that, that Paul wrote to the Romans. He said about the the analogy that he's using in Romans chapter six, he says, yeah. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. 
operations. Yeah. And that's what we have is, is communication through human intermediaries. God has communicated here. It's through human yeah. intermediaries in human languages yeah. with words meaning the same as they mean in normal usage because that's an effective way to communicate to human beings. Certainly. Okay. Or should we have a look at uh, another verse, another another key example? Yeah, the second second key one is is Second Timothy chapter three. Mm-hmm. Okay, so shall I read and, uh, a couple of verses from there? Yeah, verses fifteen and sixteen will do us there. Okay, so verse fifteen, and how from childhood you Timothy have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Yeah. So different from the first one that we looked in in the epistle of Peter, this is explicitly Mm. talking about scripture, uh, as in the writings. And the version that you read, did it say God breathed? It said all scripture is inspired Inspired. by God, I have here in my New Revised Standard Version. Okay. So, so yeah, so in the New Revised Standard Version that you just read from there, Josh, it used the word inspired. In the English Standard Version that I've got in front of me, it says God breathed. Okay. And that is actually the only place where this word is really used in the Bible. And it's, it's a unique word, kind of theognustos, which is a word that Paul has invented. He's just stitched together two words and it means God breathed. Uh, great so, way to communicate yeah, by inventing yeah, words, yeah. of course. <laughs> And there's no explanation of how, particularly no. there, how scripture is God-breathed. Yeah, but yeah. as we've already seen, there's a great diversity of voices and writers who are in different circumstances, using different languages, in different backgrounds, mm. different, you know, some very poor in, in stratas of society, some in the elite of society, yeah. different cultures, you know, whether it's Canaanite or Egyptian or Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, mm. you know, they're all there, but all in their different way, is God-breathed. And I guess the other thing that's in there is Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, Timothy, you've been acquainted with these sacred writings. So there's a collection of texts, there's a collection of writings that that he's familiar with, which now gets also to, well, these texts have been collected and they've been handed down. and, and, And now Timothy's got them and he's He's become well acquainted with them. So that introduces a whole range of of different issues. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, the the end of the previous verse, verse 14, is reminding him that these are things you've learned and you firmly believe, and you also know from whom you learned them. Mm. So this has come to Timothy. And so that then, I suppose if we add all that up, that extends the communication chain a bit further, certainly much further than the example we had earlier where it's you talking directly to me. You know, we have the spoken words, we have those words written down. We have the collection of those words over time, mm. geographically brought together. We have copies made of that. We have those those works edited, put together, put into an order, perhaps reordered, translated then from the original language into the language that you are then going to read and then you are going to, to understand. So that is a, a longer chain yeah. <laughs> of, of, of steps and events than a simple two yeah. people over a table having yeah. a chat. But still consistent with our earlier shorter chain, yes. the authority rests at the beginning of that chain with what God, with, with what the communicator meant. But now you've got this long chain of, you know, collection, copying, editing and reordering yeah. and translation and so on. And, you know, I think we're back to the point that if there's a God and he's communicating, Mm -hmm. if God is involved and he's interested in communicating to us, then he's interested in that whole sequence. Right. Okay. And and if he's God, then he has the ability to, however, by whatever means that, Mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily understand. But because we believe there's a God, we can trust that he can do it. 
he has the ability to ensure that through that whole chain, the text ends up where he wants it to end up yeah. and in the form he wants it to end up. And so I think it is helpful when we think about the concept of inspiration, not just to think of it as, you know, there's that spark, initial yeah. whatever thing that the Bible doesn't really explain how it happens. And it's a one hit event. And then mm. everything else is just history. You know, I think it's helpful to see it as a much more holistic process. Sure. Okay. So it's key then. Yes, God is able. If we if we believe there is a God, then he has the ability to ensure that we, we have texts that we're intended to have and and the ability to, to read them and to understand yeah. them. Yeah. And I, and I think that I think that is a really helpful way to look at it, mm. to, to see it holistically like that, because it might be tempting as we look at the Bible to, to sort of try and break it up into pieces and say, well, these these words, these parts, yeah. a human being could have produced. And so they're just human words. They're just sure. man's words. But then these bits are a bit more difficult for humans to produce. So God was involved there and that, that bit's okay. God, you know, and to break it up like that and seeing if there's a God with that sort of interest in the whole process removes the need to think of it like that. So... And actually, in the words of an early writer from the Christadelphian community that I just picked out, and I'll just read them out now, it says, it would then, in our view, be holding very erroneous language to say certain passages in the Bible are man's and certain passages in the Bible are God's. No, every verse, without exception, is man's and every verse, without exception, is God's. Whether we find him speaking directly there in his own name or whether he employs the entire personality of the writer in the scriptures, God has done nothing but by man and man has done nothing but by God. I think that's quite a useful way of seeing the, the, the whole. Absolutely, yes. That's, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, so we have, in summary, God's words in human words. Actually, that's a very much more succinct way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> God's word in human words. Okay, so that's that's really helpful. But obviously, let's stress, other people would see things very, very differently. They would object to the idea that the Bible can in any way be seen as God's word. And there might be a number of different reasons for that. One very common objection might be that there are contradictions, there are inaccuracies mm. within it. And so those ruin all the rest of the parts that might otherwise have gotten mm. past the censor, as, as, as it were. How should we think about a challenge like that? Yeah, and I'm sure we've probably seen the kind of lists of contradictions that that people put out to discredit the bible and and for that very reason to to object to it being seen as as god's word and this isn't going to be a in any way a comprehensive treatment of, of the lists of contradictions that you can find but often when i've reviewed those lists what I find is that many of them are short statements taken from different parts of the Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, one taken from the law of Moses in Exodus or Deuteronomy or something, and then okay. something from the words of Jesus or the, right. the letters in the New Testament and saying, you know, those short sentences appear to contradict each other. Right. And, and often when you do take into account the context, when you take into account the type of writing mm -hmm. that's involved, the contradiction isn't really a contradiction. It's just two, okay. two statements made in different contexts by different people in different circumstances for different reasons yeah. that end up just giving a, a, you know, a different perspective on an issue. So that does happen a lot. And many of those claim contradictions kind of end up being like that. 
And, and similarly, with inaccuracies that are claimed about the Bible, you know, often that just boils down to the, the language is, is fitting for the particular genre of writing or the mm-hmm. cultural setting. So it might refer to the earth being balanced on pillars, mm-hmm. the foundations of the earth on pillars or something. Well, that, you know, if, if that's the way people in ancient times thought of the earth, then that's the way they communicated about the earth. Yes. And, and particularly when that's expressed in a poetic sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those types of things, that may well help us understand why we might see things that are, yes, taken from two very different places and then sort of awkwardly put together. But there are some actual inconsistencies, though, that you might see in two very similar passages that are not clearly sort of two totally obvious contexts and genres Mm. put together, but some that just seem to be a regular inconsistency. Yeah, I guess the other thing to say about those potential contradictions is they're treating the Bible as this kind of flat, homogenous text from beginning to end. That's not what it is. And actually, just as it's inappropriate to use it in that way to find inconsistencies and contradictions, it's Mm -hmm. actually inappropriate to think of it in that way if you genuinely think it's God's word. It's it's not going to help you understand and and interpret it well if if it's treated as this homogenous thing that doesn't reflect the underlying circumstances and personalities of the human writers involved. So, but to your point, yes, there are other genuine inconsistencies. You know, for example, there's Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. In John's gospel, it appears right at the beginning of, of his ministry. In the other gospels, it appears at the end. And, you know, Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tempted. And there are three temptations described in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. But in those two gospels, they're in different order. Okay. And so what actually happened to Jesus in the wilderness? Some, sure. Something actually happened yeah. in a particular order. You know, is one of them right and one of them wrong? Or, or maybe neither of them are a completely accurate reflection of the experience of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Sure. It's a record that is created and constructed for for thematic reasons. And we cover this yeah. in, in a couple of other podcasts about, you know, the reliability of the New Testament and why are there four Gospels and, and you know, maybe worth looking those up if you want to delve into those. But that just, it, it just shows that what's more important to the communicator through these texts, the God, yeah. the communicator, is communicating those themes and those messages rather than those kinds of details of, yes. of perhaps con- chronology, location, and, and so on. Yes. Yeah. Which I suppose then that, that takes us back to one of your, your early points about the, the humility we need to bring mm. to the table ourselves in, 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 what it is that we're expecting, you know, as moderns, we, yeah. you know, wish there was someone with a, you know, a 4K camera there to just take something and upload it so we could just watch it. And, and then we'd know exactly what order things had happened and we mm. could fulfill our, uh, our modern expectations. Mm. But that might, because we don't have that. And instead we have to, to think carefully about what it is we're reading. With that said, what then can we know as, as certain as we read the Bible today, as we might approach it? For the first time, or mm. reapproach it after a long time, having not looked at it, are we are we left with inherent doubt about what is God's word? Do we have the the tools and the ability to actually get at what that authoritative meaning is, mm. or do we just feel that it's a bit hopeless, or it's a, a massive sort of hill to climb, and we've got to read lots of other mm. academic books to sort of get ourselves prepared, just to not fall at the first hurdle yeah. when we when we open it up and, and start yeah. to read ourselves. Yeah, and I guess there's two two things there. The first is around you know how certain can we feel when we pick up our Bibles and read it that we are 
reading something in which we can perceive God's intended communication, if you like, uh, and treat it as authoritative. And I suppose a, a sort of overarching answer to that question is, well, Jesus treated it as authoritative, you know, mm-hmm. or the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as he had it, and the apostles did. So perhaps Jesus is more important as, you know, as the Son of God and evidenced outside the Bible by the circumstances around his life, his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Jesus as the Son of God, if he is treating those texts as authoritative and referring mm-hmm. to them as the Word of God and as truth, then that gives us the assurance that we can also pick it up and treat it as authoritative. And, and actually, when Jesus refers to his Hebrew Bible, if you like, he refers to the, the three sections when he's talking on the road to Emmaus with those, those two people. He's demonstrating from Moses, from the prophets, and from the Psalms, all the things that are spoken about him. And those are essentially the three parts of the Hebrew Bible. So mm. identifying the texts that he's going to and treating as as authoritative. So, but to the second point, the second part of your question, can we so many centuries afterwards, can we get to enough of an understanding of the, the original cultural setting in order to be confident in understanding that meaning? I think what we can say is that the language, you know, much of it is clear and much of it is able to cross those cultural and and time boundaries, if you like, particularly when we're talking about the basic message, the key truths that are being communicated about what is human nature, what does it need saving from, how is it to be saved, and and why, and what the end goal is for the purpose of God. And understanding those things uh, come through clearly. But it's still good to be aware of those cultural settings, particularly before we nail down a particular interpretation of a detailed part of scripture or before we go into deeper things it's it's good to be aware of those cultural implications that that might be at play so that then again yeah brings us back to that overarching point that we established if there is a god we can trust in his ability to communicate and so we are able with with confidence to think well what we have is precisely what we were intended to have and yet there still is some responsibility that rests with us to to treat what we have in front of us with respect to, to take it seriously and to discern that meaning responsibly and humbly as we as we read as we discuss mm. as we think about it on our own and with others okay well paul thank you very much for your time and your thoughts that's time for us to wrap up you mentioned that we have some other podcast episodes and articles on the website that might be useful resources for people who want to dig a bit deeper into this there are some earlier videos on why and how to read the bible that touch on this subject and there's a two-part episode on the reliability of the new testament text and there's also some on how to read and interpret prophecy again which touch on the the inspiration question so we would encourage you to uh, to look up those episodes let us know what you think via the comments via email through the bible feed website and thank you very much for, for joining us in this session and we'll be back very soon You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like us to discuss. Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey.